Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. Welcome, church. I mean what I say. What Something that happens in here can change what's happening out there. That what God wants to do in here, I believe, and in our hearts and in our lives has everything to do with the change that I believe he wants to bring to our world and to our, um, our communities, to our families, to everything. So this last Tuesday was a big day for the future of our nation. I don't need clapping today, right now. We're good. Um, we're going to just clap for him this morning. I believe that God spoke a word to my heart, and I don't get up and say that very often to you, but I believe that the Holy Spirit spoke to me in the early mornings of Wednesday morning. And it was a very clear word, and it caught me in my tracks. Like you, like many of you, I stayed up late. I was up till 2 o'clock in the morning uh, watching as the world was really astounded and astonished, as uh, commentators were just trying to wrap their heads around what was happening. I was following on uh, NewYorkTimes.com a little meter that was showing percentages and chances of, of it. And I think at the beginning of the night, it was like 80% that we would have um, President Hillary Clinton by the end of the night, and then I watched it a little longer, and it was 70, 60, 50, and then, you know, within a couple hours, it had flipped completely, and uh, the whole world was just like, what is going on right now? Uh, what is happening? And uh, I know there was just such a flurry of emotion happening that evening, and uh, as I went to bed, waiting for the final, uh, really the final pronouncement uh, that what was being seen on television would be deemed that, yes, uh, we now have President-elect Donald Trump that's going to be taking office in January. And so with that, I waited. I went to bed. There was no speech. There was nothing at 2 o'clock. Well, by 3 o'clock, that happened. And so the first thing I did when I woke up in the morning is I listened um, to the speech that was given by President-elect Donald Trump as he was getting ready uh, to share. And as he shared the very first words, if you heard it, um, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He said, it is now time to move forward and to bind up the wounds of this divided nation. And it was right then that I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the, the word of the Holy Spirit in my heart that said, that healing won't happen in the White House. It's going to start in the church. That isn't going to happen in the White House. It's going to start in the church. And, you know, I would have never have known where we would have been this week and what the, the, the feeling would be kind of in the world and the tensions that are kind of mounting all around us. We're not... Um, really adverse to that. We've seen that happening, um, and we've seen tension kind of happening. It's been a very contentious election, but it came out of a season where we felt a lot of tension as a nation. And so when we are coming to this series on kingdom living, uh, this message on November 13th was going to be a message on race and on racism and on what it means to be kingdom living in a world that can sometimes be divided by the way we look by how much money we have, by creed, by race, by class. Um, and so I prayed, Lord, you know, give me that word I was working on Monday, uh, on that message, praying into it. And I feel that it's a word in season today. Um, and I believe it's something we need to know and we need to understand. So you need to know this isn't because of the outcome of an election, but because God had it for us as a part of our Kingdom Living series to confront the issue of race. And it's a word that needs to be spoken today, church. And so I need you to lean in. I need you to listen. And I need us to understand that God is doing something. It's going to begin in the church. 
Now, I said that, and I normally say when it begins in the church, and when I hear that and when I say that word, I normally am always talking about the capital C church. I'm talking about the church not just that it resides on 1251. How many know that the church of Jesus is bigger than what happens here in this house? Are you still with me? Have I lost you already? But I do believe deep in my heart that what God wants to begin begins in this church, not just in the church, specifically here. Why? Because God has done something specific and something beautiful and something that's so different than what's happening in so many other churches around this country. I need you to know that a few years ago, we took a survey as a, a congregation. It was a church health survey, and they measure all kinds of different things. One of the things they measure is... Um, you know, the, how far people travel to come to church. How many male and female do we have in the church? How long have you been attending church? Um, how many languages are spoken by the church? How many ethnicities are represented inside the church? And how many different people from different places around the world? And, and so as they went through and they said, well, this is like a lot of the, you know, most churches are like this and most churches are like that and most churches are like this. And we went through with a company. They've, I think, have studied three to, 350 to 400 churches like us in this area of the country. And they got to our diversity as a church, and they said, we've never seen anything like this before. Of all the churches we've ever studied, they said, you are in the top 99%. Like, you're, you are, this is so rare. When our superintendent, who has traveled to thousands of churches, Dr. George Wood, was here two years ago, he looked out over our body and said, this is different. This is very different. This is beautiful. You know what I say? I say it's what heaven looks like. This is what heaven will look like. People from every tribe, every nation, every tongue coming together, lifting up one voice to Jesus. And I remember back, Pastor Brennan, who uh, was pastor here before me, I'm still amazed uh, that there are some of you that don't know that name. Uh, I'm still amazed uh, because you're newer here. But he was our pastor for 22 years, and God used him so mightily during a season whenever our church was uh, so much smaller than it was today. It was a church that was hurting and broken and looking um, to the Lord just to kind of heal and lead forward. There are people that sit around you in your pews. They remember. Come on, someone. You remember what that was like, right? You were there. You lived in some of those times. And uh, God rose up a leader like a, a, for such a time as this leader at that time in Pastor Brennan. And uh, God just began to bless the church as they trusted him. And, uh, and one of the things that Pastor Brennan prayed for a lot, he looked out over the complexion of the congregation. He said, Lord, I don't want this to be what the church looks like. Lord, I want the church to look like heaven. Lord, I want to see a church that's diverse. I want to see people from every tribe, nation, tongue. And he tried so many ways, he told me, to make that happen. And some of you were leaders during that time, and you've told me as well. And, and they were just like, just like our attempts to make it happen. It can be awkward. It doesn't work. Nothing happens. And he said eventually he just resolved to this, Lord, you know what's in my heart. And I just pray, Lord, you'd make it happen. I'm so amazed to see that God has answered those kinds of prayers that he's made us a body that is made up of so many people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. I meet people that have been in our country for just a few weeks, and they start attending here. Do you know that? There are people that come here, and they, they literally land in the United States. The next Sunday, they're worshiping with us. Because that's the church. You want to go to that church. You want to see that church. You want to be a part of that church. And I believe it is a picture. I believe it's something that is so different, and you may not realize it. it's not happening everywhere. What's happening here is not happening everywhere. They say uh, the word is true, and it still is true, that 10 to 11 o'clock a.m. is still the most segregated hour in America when we come together to worship. I know that doesn't sound good. I know that makes maybe even feel uncomfortable, but it's the reality in so many places of even worship that there are lines that kind of divide people. Um, and, and so what we, 
want to do is we want to lean in and we want to listen because I do believe what God wants to do, church, he wants to begin in this house and he wants to do through this house because this isn't just a blessing. It's, a, it's, it's, it's really a responsibility that we carry. He's made us this way. He's knit us together as this body. And I'm going to tell you, what's happening in the world isn't going to divide this house. What's happening in the world isn't going to come in here. I want what's happening in here to go out there. Right? I don't want what's happening out there to come in here. I want what's happening in here to go out there. And I want the world to see. And I believe we're positioned and God has given us favor and influence, even in our community, that we can be a light at this time. I, within 24 hours, I sent a message to our leaders. I told them to pray because I knew that we were coming to this topic in God's word. I saw what was happening in the world around us. I felt that prompting early in the morning uh, as I first got up uh, after the election was completed and knew for such a time as this, God's ready to use the church. He's ready to call upon the church. And if revival's going to come, let it come through us. Let us be a conduit for it. Are you still with me? All right, turn with me in, in the gospel of John chapter 4. We're going to go through God's word and we're going to talk about the the issue of race and what God's word has to say about that and what it means when it comes to kingdom living. This message title is different than I, than I thought it would be, but, um, but many uh, of the things we've talked about is about the, the character of the kingdom, uh, like kingdom character kinds of things, how we live, what we do. And when I say, what does the kingdom look like? I can ask you what it looks like from a character position. What does it look like? Well, when I'm loving and when I'm doing this, I'm, when I'm doing that. But what if I were to ask you, in a different way, what does the kingdom look like? What's the complexion of the kingdom? And we know it because we say it. Kingdom of God is made up. It says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, the complexion is people from every tribe, nation, and tongue worshiping the Lord forever and ever and ever. How many of you look forward to that? So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you get, do you get this? That when we come together, when the choir, and when our worship ministry is leading us in worship, we're getting a taste of heaven in God's house today. Do you, have you ever thought of it from that perspective? That we get to come together and do what we are going to be able to do for eternity. Worship our God together as one body. As one body. Oh, church, I'm going to need you today, okay? To lean in, to listen to God's word. If you're taking notes today, start in John chapter 4 with me. And we're going to walk through some passages of scripture. I want you to hear from God's word more than just my words. It's amazing that as I thought of this, I thought, let me find a passage of scripture that really confronts this in the New Testament, this issue of race. And what I found is there are many passages that do. And so we're going to walk through some of them today. Lord Jesus, I just invite you to come now. Holy Spirit, speak uh, through your word to every heart and every life. In your name we pray. Amen. In John chapter 4, Jesus is going from one place to another. He left Judea in verse 3, it says, and he was heading again to Galilee. Now, as Jesus was traveling, he was going from one part of Israel down to another part of Israel. And as a part of his route, if you were to just draw a straight line, it would mean that he would intersect with an area called Samaria. And that's where the Samaritans lived. And so the Bible says in verse 4, and it should throw up no flag for you if you were looking at a map that he had to pass through Samaria. But this is where any Jewish person that's listening or watching or reading would say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you do not have to pass through Samaria. In fact, there are all kinds of detours around that place. You do not have to go through there. You see, the Jewish people made it a practice to avoid at all costs going through Samaria. No one had to go through Samaria. And so they would avoid it at all costs. You see, there was a lot of racial tension between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. It went back to about 700 years before this point in time. 
where we pick up at this passage, when the Assyrians had taken over Israel and had been transplanting people in and out of the nation of Israel, there was a group of people that settled that became known as the Samaritans. The problem with the Samaritans in the Jewish people's eyes is, number one, they weren't a part of their people, and so there was a problem there. Secondly, they only adopted parts of the Bible and not the whole Bible. They only adopted parts of Judaism, not all the Jewish faith. So they, what they did was they basically took out the first five books of the Bible, which we know is the Pentateuch, starts with the book of Genesis, and they said, yes, we affirm this, but we also affirm some of our other religious backgrounds and traditions. And so that's called syncretism when you're kind of mixing together different religions. And so these Samaritans, they, they were really practicing not just the Jewish faith, but other faiths as well, and it was all blended together. So the Jewish people had such contempt for them, and vice versa. In fact, there are other writings from the time that they call them the Samaritan dogs. They spoke of them so uh, in such an ill way. So there was so much tension that they would go even a day or two out of their way to walk around Samaria to make sure they didn't go through. In fact, the Jewish people thought that if you were there and you came in contact with uh, the Samaritans and others, that would actually make you unclean. It would defile you to be around them, to touch them, to be near them. So it's very interesting that the Bible says Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He's breaking down one wall right there. He's willing to go where other people say, I can't go there. I can't go to them. And Jesus sits down by a well, the Bible says, when he came to the city in Samaria called Sychar, near a parcel of ground that Jacob, this is going to be important, gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, as wearied as he was from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, about 12 o'clock noon. Jesus is there at a well. It's not just any well. Uh, John goes into great detail to tell us exactly whose well that is, and it's important for us to understand whose it is because it belongs to Jacob. And that's the same Jacob you read about in the book of Genesis. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his son was Joseph. This was Jacob's well. What's amazing is that Jesus comes to this place and he finds himself on literally what I would call common ground. It was some of the common ground that was owned by the Samaritans and the Jewish people. They both looked to Jacob and saw him as one of the fathers of their faith. And it was there that Jesus met on common ground, sitting there at the hottest part of the day, that he has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. And so in verse 7, it says, A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now, for some of you, this doesn't raise any flags, but there's a tension that would be in the air. There's a tension that's already in the air just because Jesus walked into Samaria and that he sat down at that well. You see, people could recognize he was Jewish just by looking at him. They could recognize him because of his outward appearance, because of the complexion of his skin, because of the way he dressed, because of the way that he was walking. They knew this was a Jewish man. And this woman showed up thinking no one else would be there. That's why she showed up. That's a whole other message. And she's there, and she runs into this Jewish man. So it's already super awkward, very tense. No one's going to be talking to each other because normally your mom teaches you, if you don't have anything nice to say, right, don't say anything at all. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But Jesus speaks up, standing there at Jacob's well and says, will you give me a drink? And this kind of set her off. The Bible says in verse 8, the disciples had gone away. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? 
So she didn't ask him, are you Jewish? She said, how would you, as a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? We don't have any dealings with each other. That's what John said. They don't have any dealings. That's a very nice way of putting it. Uh, we don't have any dealings with each other. And Jesus, he, he doesn't say anything to that. He doesn't ask. He doesn't answer her question. He tells her something. He said, if you asked me for a drink, I would give you living water. And she said, what are you talking about? Another thing she was implying when she said, how are you going to ask me for a drink? She's saying, you're going to put your Jewish lips, you don't have anything to drink with. You're going to put your Jewish lips on my Samaritan cup? Like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? She said, this water is deep. How are you going to fetch it? Are you better than Jacob yourself? Like, how are you going to get this living water that you're talking about? And Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. When everyone who keeps coming back to this well, you're going to thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give him, he's going to never thirst again. Because the water that I give him is going to well up to a spring leading to eternal life. When Jesus talks about living water, do you know what he's talking about? If you're taking notes, and it's important to catch this. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, when I give you living water, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And when you receive that, you're never going to thirst again. Whenever you receive that, you're not going to be coming back to the same old places and doing the same old things. When you receive that, it's going to change everything. And she hears it. And she wants it. And she said, well, okay, whatever he's offering, I want that. Then give me this water so I don't have to keep coming back here again. And it's at that place where Jesus found common ground, where he's willing to come to her in grace, that he also was able to confront a reality that was going on there in her life. He said, well, then go get your husband. Some of you know how the story goes. She tries to sidestep it. Well, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right when you say that you've had five husbands and the man you're currently with isn't your husband. So you're correct when you said you had no five husbands. This is some crazy stuff. Who, I mean, like, could you imagine you're sitting there and you're, and you're with someone. There's a lot of tension between you. And then he just reads your mail like that. And you're like, okay. So she says what many people would say. I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> I think you might be a prophet. Yeah, you think so. I perceive that you're a prophet, sir. So why don't you answer me this question, prophet? Let's talk about worship. Let's talk about the things that divide us as a people. So your people, you worship over there on the mountain. You worship up on the Mount Zion in Jerusalem. My people, we worship in, in, in this mountain. Where ought we worship? Where should we worship? Where should we worship? Let's take that, that, that passage down right there. Acts chapter 2, bring that down. He said, where should we actually worship? And Jesus said this to her. She said, we worship here, you worship there. Where should we actually worship? And he said, listen, there's a time that's coming. Verse 23 of Acts chapter, or, I'm sorry, John chapter 4. We're going to get to the book of Acts in a moment. John chapter 4. He said, an hour is coming and has now come when the true worshipers are going to worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks as his worshipers. That time is coming. It's now here when the true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean, Pastor? Here's what it means. That they're going to worship without anything holding them back. They're going to worship without anything dividing them. They're going to worship in such a way it's going to be very authentic in spirit and in truth. Not just the Holy Spirit, but this spirit means it's a very transparent, a very authentic worship. 
not a worship that is divided. So the answer that Jesus says for where you worship when she's talking about two people being divided in where they worship, how they worship, when they worship, he said an hour is coming when that's not going to be it anymore. But instead, you're going to worship in spirit and in truth. There's going to be such a pure authenticity of your worship that's going to please the heart of God. God's word says in the book of Psalms that blessed is it when brothers dwell together in unity. It's there that God commands his blessing. He said there's going to be, a, there's going to be an hour that's going to come when the true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and in truth. We fast forward now to the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. And as we're there in Acts chapter 2, if you turn there, it's the very next book in the Bible, you see that Jesus had ascended into heaven. He came, he died for the sins of humanity, he rose from the dead, and before he ascended, he said, don't leave Jerusalem. Something's about to happen in not so long. Something's going to happen. It was really about 10 days from that point in time when he spoke to them. He said, something's going to happen. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in the world. You're going to go here there and everywhere, and tell people about me. And so they waited. They didn't leave Jerusalem. They went to a place of prayer and a place of worship. They went and they closed their door and they met in an upper room and they began to seek the presence of God. Just as Pastor Rick said in worship, just a moment in God's presence changes everything. Does anyone else agree with that? Just a moment in his presence. So there they were. And some of us think that, you know, we, they went there and they left from Jesus' presence. They went up into that upper room and about 25 minutes later after, you know, just the right song was played and the choir was moving, that then the Holy Spirit came and met them. No, no, no. They were given no guarantee of when that hour would be. Jesus just said, it's coming. That day is coming. He is coming, the Holy Spirit. Be ready. And so there they were. The Bible says on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. Pentecost was one of the feasts that the Jewish people, they celebrated. And on that day, when they were there to celebrate a whole different feast, when the town was packed, suddenly something was happening in the upper room that got everyone's attention. It says they were all together in one place. They're there. And suddenly, there was a noise that came like the violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves and resting on each one of them. And verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit was giving them what? Utterance. The ability and so some of you have heard this verse before. We talk about it. We, we know uh, as a people and believe uh, firmly that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is as well. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God that we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's word is clear. And so this is the moment that changed the church. This is the moment that birthed the church when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And met them and says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. Many of us hear about this, but I don't know if any of us, many of us, have paid attention to what happens in the very next verse. Because it talks about what's happening in the, the world around them. It says, now there were in Jerusalem Jews living, devout men from every nation under heaven. And as they're listening, they can hear God being praised in all these different languages. See, when they're speaking out, the men don't know what they're saying because the Holy Spirit's giving them the ability to speak it. 
But those that are gathered around, and you got to think, the, the whole city of Jerusalem was packed with people. People were traveling from all over. All the Jewish people would, would pack in to celebrate the feasts. And it says there, there were people from every nation under heaven that were represented there. So you got people that look a lot different from each other. You got language barriers. You got class barriers. You got racial barriers. You have every barrier there can be. Those same barriers that still live and exist in parts of the world today. Those same things that many could be divided from. The things that create some tension, because you got people that are there that are Roman citizens who the Jewish people cannot stand them. They want to overthrow Rome. There's all this tension I talked about last week in the government to want to overthrow the Roman emperor who's in power and reestablish God's true kingdom and king. you got all kinds of tension. And so at these feasts, when everything gets so busy, there's a lot of tension in the air. You know what it feels like to be in that kind of place where there's a lot of tension in the air. But as they're all pressing in, as they're all trying to get along, they hear this sound that they could not have imagined early in the morning. They hear God being praised in different languages. And so they start to ask themselves questions. What is going on? Verse 8 says this. How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? How is it that whatever's happening up there, we can all hear it in our own language? Parthians and Medes and Emilites and, and, and the residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Persia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the districts of Libya and Cyrene, even visitors from where? Rome, from Jews to proselytes. Proselytes was someone that wasn't Jewish but, but wanted to honor God with their life. Cretans and even Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they continued in amazement, in great perplexity, and they said to one another, what does this mean? That's a great question for us to answer today, church. Because I want to tell you something. I said it at the beginning of this message, and I believe it to be true. That just as we heard, uh, uh, the first speech given by our president-elect was, it is now time to bind up and heal the wounds of this divided nation. I believe that the answer won't come through the White House, through the Oval Office, or through any place other than the church. Do you know why? Because we see what the answer is right here. What this means, <laughs> that they hear it in every language, that they hear it in every tongue, that they see it happen, is because the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of God's Spirit is the answer to heal any wounds and any division in the land. It is the answer. I want to tell I can't say it more seriously enough. It is the answer. The, the filling, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the fresh move of God in our land will bring a healing will break down divides. Here's what we see here. What it means is this. And Peter gets up full of the Holy Spirit speaking, and he says this. He says, we're not drunk with wine, as some of you are saying, because you're thinking, man, they're just blabbering. What is going on? Have they been drinking? But he said, it isn't this, but it's a sign, because long ago the prophet Joel said this, that in the last days God's going to pour out his Spirit on what? All people. On all flesh, as someone said. It's on all people that he's going to pour out his spirit. It's going to break down walls, divisions. It's going, to, it's going to be poured out not just on some and not the others. Not just on the old, not the young, not just on anyone. It'll be indiscriminate. It'll be poured out on all people. And he says, you're seeing the fulfillment of this right now. That somehow, God's spirit has the power to break down every, every barrier. Everything that could divide us 
intentionally and unintentionally. It can break down even language barriers. Do you realize that? That he has the ability through the Holy Spirit's power to break down everything. And what happens is it brings them to a place of unity. It brings them to a place where Peter could then stand up and preach the gospel. And out of that group of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, the church is birthed. 3,000 people come to Jesus on that day. Will someone praise God over that? That in that one moment, at that one time, this is what happened. That they heard and they saw and they witnessed it in that moment. And Jesus' prayer for them was being answered. If you go back to John chapter 17, when Jesus prayed for his followers, do you know what his prayer was? His prayer was that there would be a unity, that we would be one. Jesus said this in John 17, 21. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. He said that then they might know that the world has sent me. He says, I've given you, this is verse 22, them your glory, the glory you gave me, so that they may be one. And here it is in verse 23. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. What a prayer that Jesus prayed for us. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. What happened on that day when the Holy Spirit fell over the people, when they spoke out in other tongues, as that language was going out, they were hearing God being praised and worshipped in every one of the languages under heaven that they could know. They heard it, and you know what they did? They believed when they saw that picture, that unity, go what God was doing in that moment showed that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the son of God, and 3,000 people were saved as a result of it. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out. It's the answer that Jesus was giving to the Samaritan woman when the living water comes. It ain't going to be about here or there. We're going to worship in spirit and in truth. It's going to break down walls of division. It's going to bring us together as one body. We're going to be in perfect unity as God desires for us to be. And the world's going to see it, and we will be a light to them. Well, a lot happens over time. That's how the church began, but that's not how the church stayed, unfortunately. Over time, you saw so many things in the culture that becomes divisive. The world around us is divisive. Do you know why that word division is so strong, divisive is there? Because there is someone that is known as the enemy, the prince of the air. And he is, a, he is one that wants to bring division. He wants to bring destruction. He wants to, what is his job description? To kill, steal, and destroy. And you want to know, you don't have to be um, too wise to understand the best way to kill, steal, and destroy is to first divide and conquer them. That in great numbers, there is great power. And therefore, if division can come, if wedges can come, wedges of offense, wedges of unforgiveness, wedges that can be caused, anything that can be used and manipulated by the enemy to cause division, he will do it in the world. He will do it with everything he has because he knows this, that if they're not unified, they're not as powerful. If they don't stand as one, if they're many, they could be conquered. They could be overcome. And I want to tell you, the world around us, we can see so many things that are happening in culture that can become so divisive. But when you look at the church, it should be a picture that's so different. I said should be, but it isn't always. And so over history, you saw this where the world was really, the church was meant to influence the world, but the world was kind of influencing the church. Are you with me? And as time went on, churches didn't look like heaven. They were just people in different pockets and different places. Segregation happened. You saw even in the founding of our nation, so many things that were so beautiful, but there were some 
terrible things that were still happening there. Segregation was a reality. By the time we get to the early 1900s, the late 1800s, that still existed. There was a man that was born in 1870. His name was William Seymour. I'm going to invite Pastor Rick to come on up. William Seymour was a man that loved the Lord. He grew up, he was a, a black man that was a son of freed slaves. And he grew with such a passion for the Lord. He had such a passion for, for God and for God's word. He wanted to know the Lord and to make the Lord known. And he wanted to go to Bible college and he wanted to study. But unfortunately, because of some of these segregation laws, he as a black man wasn't allowed to even be in the classroom with the white students. So he'd have to sit outside the classroom and listen in and take in what was being taught. But he didn't allow any racial barriers to get in the way of him doing what God called him to do. Come on, somebody. He didn't allow anything stand in the way of that. And he listened, and he learned, and he grew, and, and he set out. And in 1906, he did something radical. He moved right outside of Los Angeles, and he took over a stable that was being used at the time and converted it into a church. And it was there in that place that he, he was going to step out onto a limb and start something that was so radical in that day, an interracial worship service. And basically in that place, it wouldn't matter your color. It wouldn't matter your creed. It wouldn't matter your gender. It wouldn't matter your age. It wouldn't matter. He said, like, none of that's going to matter. We're just going to come together and we're going to worship God. Regardless of your complexion, regardless of anything else, we're just going to worship God together. I'll tell you, I've seen in our world around us how the issue of race, the tensions that have come, they're there. You don't need to look far. You can feel them. There's some that have felt that more than I ever could. There's some of you that have experienced things that I could never experience, but I, I did feel prompted to just share one story with you that happened when I was young. I grew up, and my parents were in an upper-middle-class family, and uh, we were doing okay whenever I was a child, but when I was eight years old, my parents got divorced. My father actually went to prison for some years, and my mom and my my newborn brother at the time, when I was eight years old, we moved into a low-income uh, part of our, uh, of our community. And it was there, uh, as we lived there, that there were many friends that were right my age, and we all looked different on the outside. But when we really got to know each other, we had a lot more in common than we ever would have thought. None of us had dads. We all were facing the same challenges in life. We, we all kind of were very similar in many ways. So, so really, the way we looked had nothing to do with anything for us. And as an eight and a nine-year-old, that was just something I just, these were my best friends in the world. These were the kids I played with and spent my summer with. And I didn't understand the issues. And none of us had, you know, quite understood it in, in sense of our community, anything like that. And then right around when I was 10 years old, I was allowed to go to my first sleepover over a friend's house. One of my, my best friends in the world, his name was Mark. Mark lived right up the street from me. Mark and I were a lot alike, like I said. Uh, but we were different because Mark's, Mom was white and Mark's dad was black and Mark's dad wasn't, wasn't in the picture at all. So, so I know that sometimes when we go to school, people would, would look differently at him because his mom looked so much different than him. And I never thought much of it. So we went into his house, had this sleepover, and all of our houses were connected to each other. They were like row houses. And so if you were getting a little rowdy or you were a little too loud, your neighbor might tap on the wall and let you know, hey, quiet down. And it was that night 
that I slept over his house for the first time that we're there and we're playing. Maybe we were too loud. I can't really remember. It doesn't matter because there started to be this loud pounding on the wall. And then these words that I had never even really heard before were being said. And things were being said through the wall from the neighbor next door that I, I cannot repeat to you today. There were things that I watched as my friend's face, you know, grew very embarrassed and very sad as his mom turned bright red in her face and started to pound on the wall and say things back. And I said, what's wrong? She said, he's racist is what's wrong. And these racial slurs and these terrible things are being said to my best friends. And I can just remember, like, at that age, just being so hurt, like, so, like, what? What? And in that moment, I realized just I was just naive to something that still existed in the world today. We learn about social studies and these things, but those kind of things can still happen in the world around us. Our world is not immune to that. And I feel like the answer has been what it always has been to that. We can look for those answers in the world around us and just in, of, of ourselves, but I, I know that I know that I know that the answer is found in God's word of what will overcome those kinds of things in the world. There's some that are around us, church, that, that go to this very church that are part of it, that, that they feel so differently you feel because their experience is so much different than yours. And for me, I'm not going to pretend to know what that's all about, but if I've even experienced this much of it, um, it's painful. If I've even seen it from afar because of someone that I love and care about, I, I realize that that's something. And maybe we say, well, we live here in New Jersey and we're so progressive and we're so ahead of the time, we're so this and that. Don't for a second think that that, that, that gives us, lets us off the hook from realizing these things and realizing God's word calls us to live a different way as his people. Let's go back here to what I shared with you about William Seymour. It's 100 years ago, 110 years ago. He starts his service, his worship service, an interracial worship service. People come together from all different places, from all different creeds, from all different nationalities, from all different languages, and they come together. And you know what happens when they meet? The Holy Spirit falls in power over that work. And you know what was birthed in that moment? The Azusa Street Revival. Have you ever heard of it? The Azusa Street Revival started in a converted stable where a black man started an interracial worship service and invited anyone to come that wanted to come, and everyone came. People came, men, women, they came. There wasn't even an agenda at times. The Holy Spirit met them with such power that it started a movement in three years. That went out to 50 countries around the world. And I want you to know something with certainty. If it wasn't for that revival, we would not be here as a church today. Let me say it again. If it wasn't for that revival, I don't think we'd be here as a church today. The Assemblies of God, that denomination, Church of God in Christ. So many of the Pentecostal denominations, if you've ever been a part of one, they all started out of the Azusa Street Revival. People came together. And in that moment, in God's presence, something changed. Do you know what changed? The world around them wasn't going to set the things about dividing lines or anything else. They weren't going to let anything divide them. And here's what one person said as he was in that worship experience. His name was Frank Bartleman. Here's what he said. The blood of Jesus washed the color line away. There wasn't a color line whenever the blood of Jesus showed up, whenever they put their eyes on Christ, when the Holy Spirit fell. And I thought back when I read that story again, right back to the book of Acts. Whenever the Holy Spirit was poured out, what happened? The color line was washed out. Language, anything else, that wasn't 
going to divide anyone. And they came together and experienced a fresh touch of God. So if today's the day that we've been praying in line with God's word in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and would pray and would seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I am going to hear from heaven, his ears closed, church, then I'm going to forgive their sins and I'm going to heal their land. Do you know what it means whenever he heals the land? It means he's healing the hearts. Our land, literally the dirt under this building needs no healing. The land of our hearts. That's the healing that we need. We need a healing over this nation. We need a healing over our communities. What if I told you it began here and we'll go out there? It's not going to come from out there and get into here. But it's about the Spirit of God moving in our hearts and in our lives. You see, this happened, and it continued to spread even through the church. There were times where the church was continually becoming divided. As early as a few decades after Pentecost, as the church was birthed, with all those barriers broken down, within a couple decades, you get to the book of Galatians, if you've ever read it in the New Testament, and they're there, and there are Gentile people that aren't Jewish. They don't look Jewish. They don't act Jewish. They don't have the external features of a Jewish person. And so what they were doing is they were saying, you got to become Jewish or you can't be a Christian. And Paul has to write this letter of correction to them. He said, what has bewitched you? What has gotten into your head that you're allowing things like this to divide you again? In fact, he tells a story about Peter. You know Peter, right? The one that preached on Pentecost Sunday. He said Peter was being, what wasn't being right. He was, he was favoring Jewish people over Gentiles. He was, he was trying to make them go through extra hoops so that they could be a part of God's people. And Paul says, I corrected him to his face. It says there, go and read it in the book of Galatians. He said, I told him he was wrong to his face. So it's even true that even the people of God, even the apostles, right? Come on, somebody. Need to always come back to God's truth. And it happened for Peter. We actually get a glimpse of when it happened. He goes to a man named, you know, this man, Peter, who's going and preaching to all the Jewish people, having this issue with kind of Gentiles, people look different, coming into the kingdom of God. See, he thought the complexion of the kingdom was Jewish. God says, I send you on assignment, Peter. Go to a man named Cornelius' house. He said, okay. They realize when he shows up, Cornelius is a Gentile. All right, what am I doing here? He said, go up and he goes up on the, and prays up on his roof and he's praying there. He falls, into a, he falls into a trance or a sleep-like state. It's there that God gives him a vision. It's the first pigs in a blanket that you've ever seen in Scripture, right? He sees all this pork and all this other stuff lowering down on a blanket. And God says, eat. He says, I'm not going to eat. That's unclean. And God says and rebukes him. The Holy Spirit says, do not call unclean what I have made clean. And I know he ain't talking about food in that moment. He's not talking about that. He says, do not call unclean what I made clean. He came down from there after having a revelation from the Holy Spirit and said, no, no, no. The things that I was allowing to divide us aren't going to divide us. And when they got together, when they spoke up, they came together and there was a moment, a council that had to take place, even in the book of Acts, where they said, we're going to break down these walls again. So I want you to know that the world is going to keep wanting us. As cutting edge as we become, as technologically advanced as we become, the world won't keep quit tripping over some of these things but God has had the answer in the past he has the answer today it's a fresh work of his spirit in our hearts and in our lives that will be the answer and the healing that we need in our land do you believe it church would you stand to your feet with me this morning
Let's stand to our feet right now. And here's what we're going to do. We're just going to spend a few moments worshiping the Lord together in his presence. And for you today, would you allow, say, Lord, we need that kind of healing in our land today. Lord God, we need you to break through. And so here's what it is. Would you be one that just makes yourself available to God and say, God, begin revival and begin it in me. And if that's your prayer, as they spend time singing and worshiping, would you come out of your seats even and let's just flood these altars. Let's spend time just lifting up one voice together. Let's be one body together. Let's spend this last song as one voice before we go out and grab our kids and head into the rest of our days. Let's just lift up one song together. Let's lift up one song of worship as one body and let's ask the Holy Spirit to touch us and lead us and guide us. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Come on. Let's get out of our pews and let's get even to the front just to worship the Lord together. Just come right out of your seats. Come on, right here. We're just going to spend one moment of worship collectively. Let's not let any of these pews even hold us back. Come together and let's worship the Lord.